Welcome to Trauma-Informed Parenting, where you can find information about adoption, foster care, parenting a child with a capital letter syndrome, such as ADD, ADHD, FASD, SPD, on the spectrum, etc., and trauma-informed parenting, all in one place. I'm Kathleen Guire, your host, mother of seven, four through adoption, former National Parent of the Year, author, teacher, and speaker, but more important than any of those things, I'm a parent just like you. I know what it's like to raise kiddos with trauma histories and capital letter syndromes. I used to feel as if I were the only one struggling, and because I felt that way, I isolated myself. I don't want you to feel alone in your parenting journey. So grab a cup of coffee and join me for Trauma-Informed Parenting, a Coffee Break podcast. Hi, Kathleen Guire here. Welcome to this episode of Trauma-Informed Parenting. This week, we have Dr. Jared back. Thanks for coming back, Dr. Jared. Of course, Kathleen. Thanks for having me. And he is going to talk about emotional intelligence. I'm really excited about this one. Such an interesting topic, and it's so applicable regardless of whatever you do. It does not matter what field of study you're in, if you're a parent, if you're not a parent. It's so important to consider when we interact with other people, how we resolve conflict. It plays significant, it really plays a significant role in our mental health and our physical health, to name a few. So Mm. we'll get deep in the weeds with a lot of these things. But when you think of the basic components of emotional intelligence, self-awareness is often talked about in this research literature. So when people have high levels of emotional intelligence, typically they have better self-awareness. So maybe the parent feels aggravated, They're under a lot of distress. Mm. They're worked up. But having high levels of emotional intelligence and self-awareness, you're in a much better position to understand your emotional mood state where you may feel distressed, but you activate your healthy coping strategies so you can get rid of that feeling and then still stay grounded when you're interacting with your child. Self-regulation plays a very big role in emotional intelligence. People who have higher levels of emotional intelligence typically are in a better position to manage their emotions and behavior. So if Mm. someone has low levels of self-regulation, just think of it as like their internal parking brake isn't working. So when that's not working, we're more likely to become irritable. We might be more likely to yell and scream when we get really angry. We may say hurtful things to people that we later regret. It also relates a lot to like being patient and our ability to delay gratification. So self-regulation, another huge component of emotional intelligence. Kathleen, did we, I think we did a a segment on self-regulation and foreign parenting for your series. Is that right? Well, we talked about it, but we didn't exactly do just a total podcast on that, which. Okay. Might be one to consider down the road, but it, it they all all these topics that I've been talking about on your on your program, 
a lot, they just build on each other or they're interconnected. So it's so important to understand all of these topics. Big, big component of emotional intelligence also involves interpersonal skills. So Mm. people with high levels of emotional intelligence typically have better interpersonal communication skills where they're more empathetic, they understand cooperation, they engage in constructive communication, they don't avoid conflict, they stick with it, but they don't become completely dysregulated, but they know how to tap into their resources and communicate and work things out. Maybe they're they're not going to be aggressive, they're going to be assertive, but they can name their emotions, label their emotions, and hang in there when things get tough. Adaptability is another big, big component of emotional intelligence. So people with high levels of emotional intelligence are typically more adaptable, Hmm. more flexible, and they're able to really cope with change and uncertainty and fear and worrying the un- just the unknown. If you've ever worked with someone that comes off very rigid hmm. and they're inflexible and it's their way or the highway and everything has to go their way or they just become very emotionally dysregulated, mm-hmm. those are all red flag indicators that that person probably has some lower level of emotional intelligence it's difficult to know with certainty but adaptability big big component and being a flexible parent is helpful we sometimes have to make modifications and changes things don't always go the way we planned that is okay it can be stressful but learning how to adapt and roll with the punches is very very helpful and some other components of emotional intelligence and i'll go a lot deeper in the weeds in a few minutes but Motivation has a lot to do with it. So mm. Staying motivated when things aren't going our way. People with mm. higher levels of emotional intelligence really are in a better position to have higher levels of grit and determination. And they can stay motivated even if it's really hard to see that end goal in sight. They know it's a process. They can stick with it even when it's tough. And then through that process... They may feel frustrated and angry inside, but they know how to adapt to that and be flexible and regulate their emotions and use good self-awareness. I'll give a few more examples in a couple minutes, Kathleen, but any any thoughts from your lens? Yes, I just want to ask you a couple questions because, you know, when you hear the phrase emotional intelligence, sometimes we think about, you know, you're born with a certain level of intelligence and that's the way it is. And I just want to clarify that when you're speaking of emotional intelligence, this sort of intelligence is something you can improve on, correct? Absolutely. Now, however, people that are born with certain kinds of deficits, maybe it's Mm. brain-based impairments, prenatal drug and alcohol exposure, there might be structural damage to parts of their brain that can absolutely impact this. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of components of emotional intelligence. There's social intelligence, just how people get along in the social arena. There's something called trait emotional intelligence too. If your audience just Googles trait emotional intelligence, Mm -hmm. it really breaks it down into more emotional competencies. So part of... What falls under the umbrella of trait emotional intelligence 
is going to be those socialization skills, so social awareness, emotional management, emotional perception, how we express our emotions, empathy would be a component of this, stress management, it even involves some elements of well-being, so like self-esteem, optimism, and we know that there's a relationship between trait emotional intelligence and one's personality traits. So we need mm. to be aware of temperament. We need right. to be aware of that person's level of social competency. So what is their overall social skills like? We need to also be aware of the role that perspective taking plays. Sometimes I talk about like theory of mind and mentalization. Be aware of those topics and perspective taking. And what's their overall level of, of mental health status like too? Do they have good mental health right. or do they have a lot of mental health challenges that are untreated? So many factors to take into account here. But what the research really leads to is that emotional intelligence is probably one of the best indicators of how we are going to do in life. Okay. So such an important topic. Well, and, and, and that's why I... Go ahead. No, please, go ahead. That's why I ask about that because I know, you know, when you think of intelligence and you think of, you know, you're telling your kid who's failing geometry, you need to get better grades. I wanted to point that thing out because I knew that emotional intelligence for kids who are neurodivergent or have FASD or some early trauma, then you are telling them you need to get better at this when some of them literally can't, not won't, but can't. And I think that's important for parents to know. So if that's the case, you know, how do you handle that? How do you approach that emotional intelligence? Or do you just focus on yourself and improving yours? No, I, this stuff can be taught. It can get better. Hmm. We can all enhance it. I mean, i give you an example. Sometimes after a stressful day at work, I clearly feel like my emotional intelligence has dropped. Mm. And then at the end of the day, what do I do about it? I go on the treadmill. I'll run for a few miles. I can literally tell that my patience has improved again. My mm -hmm. motivation has gone up. My stress level's gone down. I seem to have more self-awareness. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of things we can do to help with this getting better sleep, eating healthier, being around positive people who have higher levels of emotional intelligence. Learning how to be patient is a great skill to teach. Mm -hmm. Enhancing empathy, promoting empathy is so important. Teaching people how to stay motivated during times of stress, even when they don't feel motivated, just knowing that right now, maybe I don't feel good, but if I stick with it, good things will happen tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Part of having good emotional intelligence, too, is learning how to work on a team. So if, if you have a child or a teenager that struggles with interpersonal functioning, work with a skills worker, maybe. Maybe the person could learn some skills and eventually join like a sports team or some sort of hobby club or volunteer group. Learning how to interact with other people in a team environment can be very, very helpful. People with higher levels of emotional intelligence may come off as more 
confident, but at the same time humble as well. So really Mm. teaching humility is a big part of this too. Goal achievement and helping people formulate and develop goals that are achievable, then that helps build up their self-esteem and giving a lot of encouragement. These are things that can be very, very helpful. Teaching emotional regulation and self-regulation strategies and conflict resolution skills. These are all things that can help enhance emotional intelligence. On the flip side of that, when people are dealing with deficits in all these areas, those are some red flag indicators that maybe parts of their emotional intelligence may be lacking. So Mm. it's not that someone is going to have deficits in all of these areas. Maybe some areas are pretty good. Other areas are lacking. So maybe working with professionals who can screen and assess these kind of things and then target interventions to those areas that might be lacking. Right. Well, and one of the things I want to point out about that list of things that you said about yourself, like if you have a bad day at work and, you know, you can go run a couple miles on the treadmill and you will begin to regulate again. Um, When I talk to some parents about their family culture or the way that they do things and the emotional intelligence of their family of origin was just not there. So they can get into this defunct pattern of, well, that's just the way my family was, so that's the way that we were. And at the same time, they're living at a level of frustration and chaos that they don't want to live in. And that's why I wanted to ask about, is this something that you can change? Is this something that you can work on? Is this something that you can change in your family culture? which you've answered a lot, but I just wanted to point that out. Absolutely. There are many, many things that we can practically change and make better. If, if you're a family and you're always going from sun up to sundown, you never take any breaks, slow down, hmm. pause, reflect, take time to breathe. These kind of things can be helpful. If, if it's a family that doesn't eat healthy or never exercises together, or doesn't move a lot, maybe mm-hmm. they're watching TV or movies all the time, these are things that can be problematic. So there's so many like environmental things we can change, finding a support group, being around positive people, finding some respite care maybe, you just need a break, that's mm-hmm. okay, taking breaks, that's healthy, that's... That's a sign of using good emotional intelligence. If someone always says, oh, I'm fine, nothing's wrong with me ever, and they are dealing with a lot of distress, they're stuffing those emotions, and those emotions are going to come out sideways as depression or anxiety or irritability. It can impact our sleep. It can throw off our inflammation in our body. These are all things that can wreak havoc on our emotional, physical, and behavioral health. And if we can tap into emotional intelligence... We're going to be in a much better position to then engage in healthy lifestyle practices. There's a big link between living a healthy life and having higher levels of emotional intelligence as well. Right. And I wanted to point out something you were saying. I'll mention that again as, you know, if you have had a bad day at work, then you're going to, you know, you know, personally for you, you can run a couple miles on your treadmill and feel better. So in a proactive way, is it 
Isn't it better for us to have those things already planned into our schedule so that we know, and because you talked about motivation, when you get down, when things are going wrong, it's very difficult to be motivated. But I, I just personally, I'm the type of person that if I have it blocked off on my calendar and I see it, I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't feel like doing that, but I have to do it because I wrote it down. Hundred percent, I'm that way too. If you form a predictable and structured schedule, we know from the FASD literature those approaches are strongly encouraged mm-hmm. in the FASD world. And you, as parents, if you model that behavior to that child, that, that's fantastic. So yes, having things to look forward to, having things structured, maybe setting some parameters around how late the screen is on at night. Mm-hmm. These kind of things can all be very, very helpful. And I'll say this, Kathleen, too. Again, it, the research points to the fact that people with higher levels of emotional intelligence are usually in a better position to manage stress more effectively. Mm-hmm. They're typically happier. They do better in their job. They more times than not have more self-confidence. Their mental health is more stable. Their physical health is better. And all of this trickles down into having better day-to-day outcomes and you're typically happier and healthier and more engaged and you can be more present for yourself and others. And these are all linked to positive parenting approaches as well. Right. And that's that it's that inner locus of control, knowing like, you know what, I can plan this, I can do this, I can um, have this schedule for my kiddos because they need it. So even though some of the things that are out of your control are happening to you, you still have this plan in place, this structure in place to counteract that. And you still feel like, for me, Personally, I feel like I have control if I have a schedule for my life, for my kids, even if things go wrong. I think it's all about structure and boundaries, and we all need it. And it's very helpful, especially in this era of COVID-19 and beyond. And so many people are still trying to figure things out and manage work, life balance, working from home, all these things. And Part of what you said, without saying it, these are all adaptive coping strategies. So when I say mm. adaptive, these are healthy, positive coping strategies. And under that umbrella, at that top of the list, is tapping into emotional intelligence. Okay. But also not being conflict avoidant, confronting problems head on. Mm-hmm. Not in an aggressive way, but really identifying problems, not being afraid of problems learning how to manage problems and address problems and tapping into problem-solving skills. These Mm -hmm. can be very, very helpful. Sometimes with these adaptive coping strategies too, using humor effectively can be very helpful. (laughs) Taking breaks. It's okay to take a break. We don't have to go 16 hours a day, skipping lunch, forgetting to drink water, never getting exercise, And it's totally normal and okay to process your own emotions and feelings with other people like a counselor or a therapist, that there's no shame in that. It's healthy. It's actually a sign of strength. We all deal with stuff and being proactive and finding other people or a support group 
so you know you're not alone in this journey can be very healing and helpful and improve emotional intelligence and improve one's parenting skills. Well, I think what you just said about getting help is so, so important. And I just want to say this to adoptive and foster parents because I went through a season of my life where when I said something I was struggling with with a friend of mine, you know, these kids are this and they need help with this, then I would get this retort, well, you adopted them. And I'm, I'm saying that's a wrong thing to say, first of all. But I just want parents to know, and you are saying that, and you're an expert, it's okay to get help. There is no shame in getting help. There's no shame in getting some respite care. There's no shame in going to a therapist or a counselor. There's no shame in finding a, a community or a foster and adoptive support care group where you can sit there and share your stories with no judgment no shame, no guilt, so that you can process those things and and go on with your life. Fantastic advice, absolutely, positively. And part of that, too, having self-compassion. There's a Mm. lot of good research on self-compassion. That Kathleen, that might be a really good one to do in the future, too, is just having self-compassion because that can lead to so many positive benefits and reduce your shame. I've talked to so many caregivers over the years that have adopted a child with FASD and mm-hmm. unfortunately a lot of these parents carry around a lot of guilt and shame feeling like they didn't do enough but yes knowing that you maybe did do enough and you're trying and having more grace for yourself and self-compassion can lift those emotional weights and then you can be more free and more present for your child and yourself and others around you. I think that would be a very powerful episode to do because I think a lot of parents struggle with that, not just adoptive parents and foster parents, but if you're raising a kiddo with a capital letter syndrome, you feel guilty. You feel ashamed because for some reason we think in the back of our minds like that's all my fault or I caused it or I I didn't do enough or I can't find the right tools or, you know, the list goes on and on and on. So I think that would be a great episode to do. So commercial for, for a future episode. <laughs> no, I look forward to that. I've, I've given a couple talks on self-compassion and just learning about that research has actually helped me let things go more too. If I ever screw up or say something that rubs people the wrong way or don't do the best job I could at like a training Learning how to, you know, let that go. We did mm-hmm. the best we can. Learn from it. Move on. Look to the future. That, that I think, yeah, the self-compassion research ties in really nicely with some of these topics we've been covering. Mm-hmm. It does. So I'll let you dig in deeper to emotional intelligence. You said there were some things you wanted to dig into, and I got you off track. (laughs) Oh, no problem. I would say one other topic just for all of you to be aware of that relates to this is social intelligence. Mm. And if you are the parent of a child who has a neurodevelopmental disorder or a neurocognitive impairment, More times than not, they're probably dealing with some level of social intelligence deficits. Mm. That's a hallmark deficit of people with FASD, hallmark deficit of um, people with autism. If someone has deficits in the area of social intelligence, 
more times than not, they probably have some level of social immaturity. So their social age doesn't match up with their chronological age. So maybe mm-hmm. it's a teenager who's 16 years old chronologically. Maybe they have the social skills of a 10-year-old or a 12-year-old or a 6-year-old. It really depends. So the social immaturity doesn't always line up with how old they actually are in terms of chronological age. Right. And, and we say in the adoption world that there's also family age. So if you start counting down family age at the day the child came home in air quotes, then that, you know, plays a big factor, too, in their social age. I have never heard of that term. That's really cool. No, I'd love to hear more about that. Definitely. And social age, emotional age, cognitive age and family age. So the like big four to consider. Mm. Social unawareness, too, is a big factor that falls under this umbrella. So for some people, I've consulted on several cases where that's been an issue where the individual has had social unawareness, mm-hmm. which then places them at greater risk of vulnerability and victimization, being taken advantage of by other people, sometimes sexual assaults, sometimes scams online where they fall for tricks online and they don't pick up deceit. So that partially relates to like gullibility and naivete and suggestibility. Yes. When you think of social intelligence, how does that person communicate in a social situation? So just if that person really struggles with communicating their thoughts, wants, needs, emotions, intentions with other people in a group setting, on a team, in the classroom, on the job, be on the lookout for that too. Social unawareness can also impact self-awareness. It can impact perspective taking. It can really get in the way of cooperation skills. So if that person comes off really callous and cold and it's just very one-sided and they don't know how to cooperate and share and play with other kids effectively on the playground, over time, in some cases, those problems could be a factor in that child or teenager starting to be the victim of being bullied and teased and rejected by other kids because kids might start pulling away from that individual because of all of these deficits. Wow. Turn-taking has a lot to do with this too. So if someone doesn't understand turn-taking abilities and they always interrupt people, they cut in front of other people, they, they just don't seem to have a lot of patience, that could be a factor. And as these things go on over time, when that child enters a K through 12 setting, when they try to get a job, they absolutely would have some issues in those areas of academic performance and vocational skills, especially if the teachers or the employers around them don't understand these deficits. So social intelligence, another big, big topic to consider. Wow, that's huge. Because one of the things that I've, I mean, I've seen all of those play out. And one of the things that really concerns me is these kids are more likely to be targets of scouts for human trafficking. In fact, that's happened in my very own family with my niece, where she wasn't letting people know that she was communicating with this person. And you know how the story goes. But anyway, she ended up at a truck stop and almost left the state with some stranger 
But thankfully, um, my sister was able to convince her not to go and got a hold of the police who picked her up. But just that whole, I've seen that scenario play out. And of course, that was a very serious one. But I've also seen it play out in the lesser things where not being able to take turns or not being able to understand what's going on and what's socially acceptable and what's socially what they're feeling, what other people are feeling. There's just, it's so important to know all of this information and to know what you can do about it to help your kiddo or to help your family member. And, you know, it can end up with devastating consequences, like with my niece. I mean, that was a horrific situation. Terrifying. I cannot imagine. Yeah, I mean, some of these things are life and death situations. So learning about these things and being on the lookout can be very helpful and a protective factor against potential vulnerability and victimization and in some cases criminal justice involvement Mm-hmm. right right so to finish up today what is what is one thing that you think about what we were just talking about this social intelligence that parents can do to help their kiddos who maybe have FASD or a capital letter syndrome or are struggling with this social intelligence learn about the topic of social cognition that would be the number one thing i would recommend because social cognition is the umbrella term and under there falls empathy moral reasoning group behavior theory of mind mentalization it's really how we perceive and process and make sense of information in the social world and finding like a therapist or skills worker who understands those topics mm. and really implementing support services strategies for that child. But it's equally important for parents to become educated about these terms and topics. And once they do, usually the light bulb goes on and then people can link it back to, well, that's why my child seems to interrupt people all the time. Or that's why my child struggles with empathy or poor perspective taking or taking or they just seem very young for their age or they seem to fit in with kids much younger than their chronological age and they struggle maybe with relationship building all of those topics are related to social cognition thank you thank you so much for joining us today and for all of your expertise that you're willing to share with us absolutely honored to be here thank you so much Thanks for listening to Trauma-Informed Parenting. Make sure you subscribe on TraumaInformedParenting.com to receive a free resource and receive a newsletter plus updates when books or new courses are released. Also, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Podomatic, or Spotify and leave a review so other listeners can find trauma-informed parenting and know the value of the show. You're welcome to send me an email to contact at traumainformedparenting.com.